You know, um, some friends here at church have introduced Dave and I to this uh, television series called Clarkson's Farm. And one of the episodes, he gets a bunch of sheep, and the sheep start giving birth. And it is amazing. Like, it's amazing. He says, I became a midwife because he's helping all of these lambs be born. And when those little lambs stand up and they're getting cleaned off by their mom, it's like, it's like this crazy miracle of seeing new life. And I think of like my own birth stories. I invited my mom to be in the room of the birth of both my children just because I sensed, well, first of all, I didn't care. I know for some people like that is a very particular thing. They don't want anybody in there other than their spouse and that's great. But for me, like I wanted to share that miracle with my mom and, you know, the time I gave birth to my son ended up being completely traumatic. You know, it was 36 hours of labor. Um, they didn't know how it was going to end. Uh, I was so completely, like, my body was just a mess by the time I was done. I couldn't even stay awake to hold him. You know, it was, it was a trauma. But then on the flip side, when I gave birth to my daughter, it was like a breeze of a labor and delivery. There were people ordering pizza in the delivery room. It was like, it was like a party. It was a celebration. But both of those times were miracles because new life happened and it entered the world. And when you think about birth, it's interesting because it is always at the expense of someone else's pain and often was and can be at the cost of somebody's life. It's a miracle every time it happens because of everything that can happen when it happens. And even talking about birth and giving birth, I know a lot of people get uncomfortable <laughs> having a conversation about it because of numerous reasons, but one of them being that, like, we've made it such this kind of private, well, and it can be and should be, but also a holy thing. So it's... it's difficult to talk about sometimes. So if it's strange for us to have a conversation about birth, I can't imagine how crazy this conversation was that Jesus had with this man in the Bible. Let me paint a picture. It's during the week of Passover so people have flocked to Jerusalem. I mean, the city has swelled to four to five times the normal amount of people that the city held. So it's packed and it's bustling. And Jesus had been teaching and he'd been performing miracles and people had questions. 
I will tell you, a lot of people had a lot of questions about who this guy was, what he was doing, what was happening. And there's this man, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, he leaves his house one night at dark, afraid of being seen with the one he's going to see. You see, he's a Pharisee. And Pharisees were like the top of the top of the top of religious people. So when you think of like the most super religious person you know, times it by 10. And that's what the Pharisees were. And then to put it on top of that, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin only had 71 people in it. It was essentially like the Supreme Court of Israel. So the top tier of the most respected people there were. And many members of the Sanhedrin are completely against Jesus. Like, no way, no how. They are fearful of him. They're intimidated by him. But Nicodemus, he's not so sure. He isn't sure what to make of Jesus at this point. So this man, the top of the top, 71 Sanhedrin, and in the scripture we're going to see it says he's older, which in this culture, age was actually honored. It was esteemed. It was looked up to. So no one is more religious this, than this guy. No one's more elevated. And we'll find that Jesus essentially also calls Nicodemus the teacher of Israel. But Nicodemus, he's not content with the way things are going. He's curious, and he wants to know more. So he goes. And he finds himself on a rooftop with Jesus. And here's where we pick it up in John 3, 1 through 15. It says, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi? Which this is amazing too. You see, he knows that Jesus is a teacher, to address him this way. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, <laughs> Jesus replies to a question that he's not even been asked yet, but he knows what's in Nicodemus' heart and mind. And he says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Can you imagine how crass this conversation is? He is so confused. And Jesus replied, I assure you, 
No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. And Jesus replied, You're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? This is interesting. Because Nicodemus would have known the Old Testament backward and forward. So Jesus knew that he should have clued in to what he was talking about. In the book of Ezekiel, in 30, chapter 36, it, it says this. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you, and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus was talking about what it looked like, not for a whole people, but an individual, each individual, each individual person. In verse 11, it says, I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. It's powerful that Jesus used the story from Numbers about Moses and the bronze snake. If you're not familiar with that story in the Old Testament, the people were getting bit by snakes and they were dying and they were sick and they were they couldn't do anything. And so Moses sought the Lord on their behalf. And he had him put up this bronze snake on a pole. And here's the amazing thing. The people didn't have to do anything. All they had to do was look. All they had to do was look at it. And they would be healed. They didn't have to move. They didn't have to fight. They didn't have to claw their way to something. They simply had to look. Many people have opened their hearts to Jesus. Many people have opened their hearts to the idea of Jesus, but have never truly surrendered their life. We don't even understand that we've been bitten by sin and that we're dying. Instead, we use this kind of idea in our back pocket of, if I do need you, God, then save me, versus I need you. I am nothing without you. 
You see, when you give him control, complete control, when you surrender, he changes you. He changes you. And hear me when I say this. The Spirit of the Lord does not make us good people. It's not based on attending church and trying to be good. Because if this was the case, then when Nicodemus showed up, Jesus would say, you're it. That's it. You've done it. You're in. You're good. Like, no one's better than you, Nicodemus. All of us should just strive to be you. But that's not what he said at all. Salvation is not for those who are good, who are trying harder, who are praying certain prayers. It's not for those who are morally sound. In fact, let me tell you, you play no part whatsoever in your salvation. This is something we receive, not achieve. When we can completely admit we cannot do it on our own, we contribute nothing. When we cry out to God, there's not a formula. We cry out to him. He reaches down. He changes our wants, our desires, our everything. Our default changes. God, I give you complete control. There's a man, I was listening to an interview with him. Some of you may be familiar with him. His name's Alice Cooper, although that's not his real name. (laughs) He's 75 years old right now, if that makes anybody in the room feel old besides me, but... For those of you that don't know who he is, young children, um, (laughs) he's been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2011. Um, He sings the ever-popular song, School's Out for Summer. So that was blasting, you know, the last few weeks. But I was listening to this interview with him because he loves the Lord. He loves the Lord. And... um, The guy asked him a question, and he said, you know, I don't think we accept Christ. I think we accept the fact he accepted us. So good. He said, you know, I was at a point where I was like, I am tired of this life. And I know this is right. This is right. And his friends were like, how could you know? There's this, and there's this, and there's this. And he's like, you can't put it into words. God opens your eyes. It's supernatural. Try and tell that to people, he said. When the Lord opens your eyes and you suddenly know who you are and who he is, it's a whole different world. He said, right then I was baptized. I, I, I wanted to be baptized right in that moment. And he goes, afterwards I went to my pastor because I thought, you know what, I need to stop being Alice Cooper. And he goes, and the pastor said, no, I think God gave you that ministry. He's like, 
What if you're Alice Cooper, but Alice Cooper that follows Jesus? He's like, what if you're a rock star, but you don't lead the rock star life? What if that's your testimony? So what Alice is talking about is God's power coming into you, right? It's not all of God. It's, it's a little bit of his power, and it changes us. And, and you can see these examples everywhere, right? Like, yes, we see it in Alice Cooper, but we also, like, we can find them in the Bible. Like Peter. If you're not familiar with Peter, he's got an amazing story, but he starts out so timid. And then all of a sudden, he's this bold guy shouting from the rooftops. And then you look at Paul, and Paul starts out hard, and somehow he becomes softer. They're changed. They're changed. They have new life, a new birth. This is the implantation of new life inside of us. Divine life implanted in us. The spirit in you. I love that Jesus uses the metaphor of a baby being born. Because that's a new sensibility. It's a new identity. It's a whole new person. In John 1, 11 through 13, it says, He came to his own, and his own people didn't receive him. But to all did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That's our new identity. We're born into becoming children of God. We're given a new spiritual sensibility. Things smell different. They look different. They taste different. Everyone on whom this happens experiences whole new truths. All of a sudden, we see the truth for what it really is, not what the world's been telling us. You see the kingdom of God. You get a spiritual sight, and your head and your heart are changed. In 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18, it says, But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. When you are saved, your life radically changes and someone moves in with you. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's chief desire is to be in relationship with you. Just sit on that for a minute. That's unbelievable. His chief desire is to be in relationship with you. You have someone living inside of you that knows everything about everything and is committed to lead you in all truth. Not some truth, all truth. 
it makes us more and more and more like Jesus the more we let his spirit lead us. Once we've been born in his spirit, we're to walk in his spirit, fully surrendered and submitted to his will, his character, his promptings. When I say walk in the spirit, it's like this. We're all born going the wrong direction, guys. If you've been around a toddler, you know this. We don't have to make them be bad, right? Why is no one agreeing with that? Was it only my children that were so feisty? Like, we're going the wrong way. You know, you, you know your friends and family that, that don't know the Lord, and you, and you just want to shout, Hey, you're going the wrong way. Turn around. It just, it hurts inside because you can see it. And they're going fast. We're born that way. And we want to go the right way. But no matter what we do, we keep going the wrong way. But Jesus. But Jesus. And so since we're born in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. And when we walk in the Spirit, it looks like this. Galatians 5, through 25. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And here, there is no conflict with Jewish laws. Those belong to Christ have nailed their natural evil desires to his cross and have crucified them there. If we're now living by the Holy Spirit's power, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. I don't know about you, but sometimes that is easier said than done. <laughs> Even today, I was feeling like I wasn't being super kind to my husband or having a whole lot of patience. And of course, you know, I've got this message just echoing in the back of my mind. But I was thinking about this, and I'm like, yeah, that's not on my strength. That's on the Holy Spirit's strength living inside of me. I'm like, Crystal, you're trying to control your nature. You're born again. You're born again. We've got to remind ourselves of this. We're a new creation. His power lives inside of me. And the enemy wants nothing more than for us to not recognize the power that is inside of us. Part of being in church 
gathered somewhere like this today is so we can remind each other of the truth. It's okay if I'm tired, if I'm feeling weak. I have the Holy Spirit. I'm a new creation. Our application is so straightforward this week because when we look at the fact God loves me because of what Jesus has done, not because of what I've done. Nothing that Crystal did. Everything that Jesus did. Then we know we can be born again. So if you're not a disciple of Jesus... There's no better day than today to say yes to that. I don't know how many of you, if you are a disciple of Jesus, felt like Alice Cooper did. But I sure did. (laughs) I'm sick of this life. I want that. And if you are a disciple of Jesus and you are born again, where do you need God's help in walking in step with his spirit? Because it's not your strength. It's his strength. And remember, there's nothing you can do Just as the snake on the pole was lifted up, our Jesus was lifted up on the cross. And all we have to do is look at him. That's all we have to do is look. It doesn't matter how good or how pulled together or how broken you are. You can be born again. The new birth is eternal life. Forever. Eternal life. And yes, we repent and we believe. And yes, we repent and we're sorry for our sins. But repentance is not just sorry for our sins. It's, I'm sorry for all the things I thought were righteous in my life that are just filthy rags. I'm sorry that I thought I was doing it. (laughs) But it's filthy racks. It's interesting. We see Nicodemus one more time. Well, we see him two more times. At the end of John, Jesus has gone to the cross. And Nicodemus shows up with Joseph of Arimathea. This is wild. Because they ask for the body. This is crazy. 
because this is a member of the high council asking for a body that had been executed. The bodies would just be thrown out for the dogs and the vultures to take care of. And we know Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple, but we don't know much about Nicodemus at this point. And they want to give this body a proper burial. And not just that. I mean, Nicodemus brings spices and things to this. No one would have wanted to be seen with a body. And here's the other thing. Only women and slaves dressed bodies for burial. Never a man. And certainly not a man of position. So these men show up, and, and whoa, if we want to talk about a new birth, born again, they don't have class pride, they don't have male pride, and they're bold in their decision to do this for Jesus. So we don't, we don't know what really happened with Nicodemus. But if we're looking for fruit, we see some fruit. I see boldness and humility working together in love. That's fruit. Tradition would go on to say many things about Nicodemus, and we don't know if any of these are true or not, but... If you're like me, I, I do love to believe some of these things. So this is not Bible, but tradition would go on to say that Nicodemus would end up in poverty because of his affiliation, that he would testify, that he would be excommunicated, that he would be baptized by Peter, Peter and that he would eventually be martyred beaten by a mob. A sinner saved by grace. I'm going to invite the worship team up and our prayer teams. We're going to have a team here and a team here. and <clears throat> We're going to close out with another song. <clears throat> I want to encourage you, if, if tonight's the night where you want to say yes to Jesus, or maybe you want to renew your relationship with Jesus, you know, it's okay to do that over and over again. I remember Megan had a girlfriend, and every time they were at any sort of church function, she's like, Yes, I'd like to accept Jesus. Yes, I would like to accept Jesus. And it's like, you know what? I don't think that hurts Jesus' feelings at all. I think he's okay with that. I think he's okay with that. Maybe you want prayer for walking in the Spirit. Or maybe it's nothing to do with any of that. We love to pray for each other because we believe that God is in the middle of that. Here's the thing about walking in the Spirit and being born again. Nothing will ever be the same. 
nothing. It's scary. But there's, <laughs> there's really no alternative. It always, always, always results in a changed life. Changed thoughts, changed desires, changed outlook. So if you're even sitting there going, I don't even know if that's happened to me. I feel like nothing's changed. It hasn't changed for me. Holy Spirit, come. Will you pray with me? I'm going to pray for myself. So if you want to pray for yourself as I pray, God, I want a changed life. I want new life every single day. I want eyes that see what you see, ears that hear what you hear, feet that walk in your spirit. I want my heart and my mind softened. As it says in Ezekiel, you put that new spirit in me, that new heart. I know you don't mind me asking this over and over again. I want more Holy Spirit. More Holy Spirit. Pour it out. Pour it out. Till we are overflowing. In Jesus' name, amen.